Can you mention a place in your community where more groups are welcomed than the public library? Because whether you're rich or poor, homeless or live in a castle, whether you can read or not, disabled or able to walk there on your own, everyone is welcome at the library. It's like an embassy for humanity. Welcome to Anything But Silent, from the British Library, with me, Cleo Laskarin. In this episode, we're focusing in on the things that connect us, taking note of the people, places, and ideas that bring us that little bit closer together. Throughout the stories we're about to hear today, the idea of building a community runs as a central theme. And I want to start us on this path by taking a trip to a special type of library, the Human Library, where I borrowed a human book. This book publishes under the title Asexual. For me, I think part of my gender journey was sometimes confused with a sexual journey. So whilst trying to work out who I was, I confused it sometimes with who I wanted to do it with. And, and in the course of exploring who I wanted to do it with a lot, I realised I didn't like it that much. <laughs> Is that euphemistic enough? No, um, I, being honest and, and quite brutal about it, I actually was scared of sex all of my life. I went to a school where there was no sex ed, so it was going to, obviously f ignorance is going to make you quite fearful. Mm -hmm. The first relationship I had was with a guy when I was 15. My next relationship I waited 10 years for and then went out with a, a woman and married a psychiatrist for 15 years. Um, and, you know, in a podcast, you can't see you raising your eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things. You married a psychiatrist. Why would you do that? <laughs> The books are volunteers who offer to be read at events organized by the Human Library Project, at public libraries, at festivals, in businesses, and other institutions. Themes of human library books are based around what the project identifies as examples of diversity and difference that can be subject to stigma or prejudice. Things like social status, religion, lifestyle, occupation, gender and sexuality, addiction, ethnicity, I also discovered that I had a medical condition that meant it was painful, and that explained some of it. And then when I finally decided to actually transition, I said to my surgeon, just get rid of everything. Make me like Action Man, or Cindy, or Barbie, I don't care. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, they have nothing below the waist. If you take down the trousers or the skirt of any doll, they have no working parts. I said, I'd like to be no working parts below the waist, please. And he said, that's an unusual request, but it's actually quite a sensible one. I said, why? He said, well, you're going for the low maintenance option. It's really true. <laughs> I said, fine. Actually, I found it an utter relief to essentially become a eunuch. And, you know, I mean, I took hormones, developed breasts, and I'd always had a hormone level that was very low testosterone anyway, which explained a lot when I had those tested. But in terms of... Um, developing a body that actually removed even some of the options for conventional sex or even same sex. Uh, mm -hmm. And I lost a lot of those facilities by choice. And it liberated me. It also liberated me to be one of the most atypical asexuals in the sense that I'm completely pan-flirty <laughs> and, and, and polyamorous in that sense. So yeah. I flirt with everyone. <laughs> Katie has been a human library book for 10 years. And I must say they're a real page turner. But my 30 minutes of reading time is up. I return the book and take out another, on loan. This book is Bissy, today publishing under the title Black Woman. 
I have this beautiful picture of this gorgeous cottage with a not too big garden because I'm not a huge gardening person. Somewhere that's really safe and really cocooned and a beautiful, lovely, connected community around it. Um, and then I think, oh, but I need to be able to get plantain. And <laughs> I need to be able to get yam. Now, those are my two favorite foods. And they're very available in London. Yeah. And probably most cities around the country, but not really anywhere that you'll have rolling hills and stuff. And that is a big point for me. It's it's huge because that also tells me um, how diverse the area is. And my partner and I talk about that all the time. And we're, you know, slightly jealously, you know, when our friends who are white will say, oh, yeah, we're going to move out of London and we're going to go to this tiny village somewhere. I'm like, oh, that's great. You just slip in. You know, we're black, we're gay, we've got kids. <laughs> um, don't want to be the sort of poster children for like, all of everything. So, you know, I don't want to spend my whole life sort of explaining to people about things. I just want to sort of just also slip in sometimes and not sort of stand out. If you think about why we read, we read to learn, to encounter knowledge, and to hear from voices different to our own, to be entertained, to feel. We read to connect with the library that is humanity. The initial event was uh, June 30th, 2000 at Roskiller Festival. It ran for four days and we served over a thousand readers. We had 55 books on the shelf. The Human Library originated in Denmark. It was founded by Ronnie Abergel. After 19 years, we're in 80 plus countries, still growing year by year. Typically, if you're in an area where we have a local book collection near, we would come and publish our books. They volunteer their topic and say, hey, I have an experience about, let's say I've been an alcoholic. Um, I've also uh, have the experience of growing up as a child in an orphanage or as uh, for a period of my life, I was homeless. People have so many different experiences that they could help us with. I think our books are uh, everyday heroes, actually, because they've not only overcome often great challenges, but they also have the courage to get out there and let strangers browse their life. And I think that what's one of the things that makes a good open book, being willing to answer everything, set aside your own um, desire or ability or liability to take offense and to park that mm -hmm. and to say actually I'm going to be open to your questions even if you ask them wrongly right. if you ask the wrong question with the right intention or the right question and with the wrong language I'm still going to answer it and if it's something I'm not comfortable answering I'm going to let you down gently <laughs> or I use the metaphor of the library to say that's a part of my life that's not published yet. Bissy has just become a book but her first meeting with the human library was as a reader. I borrowed a book um, of a person who had um, completed, I think, actually, she was going through her cancer treatment. And my mum was just about to embark on hers. And I wanted to really understand what is it like from the person's perspective so that I could support my mum better. And, um, and it was really, really brilliant just having a very honest conversation with this person and just finding out what is it like and asking the awkward questions that I wouldn't necessarily be able to ask my mum. Later, she became a librarian, helping to organise an event in her London borough. I thought oh, I'd like to really do something to bring people together, to get people talking and getting to know who they live next to and, and who's around them and just challenging some of the stereotypes that we all have because Waltham Forest has been changing quite a lot and quite dramatically to 
book people, a book and a reader actually met at um, an event and realized they lived several doors down from each other, but didn't know. <laughs> so it was like, oh, I live on that road. And oh, yeah, so do I. And they realized that they'd lived there for years, but never met. And sometimes that's some of the power of the human library. You're meeting somebody on a very human level and you're having that conversation and that open and honesty um, that everybody brings. So both from the reader's perspective, but also from the book's perspective. I think in the early days when I was a book, I made it about what I wanted to tell someone, what I wanted them to know. And over the course of 10 years, I think I've had a thousand plus conversations with 2000 plus people, um, every one of them unique. And what makes them unique is the fact that every conversation is actually led by the reader, not by me. And so the more I'm willing to say, what do you want to know, rather than this is what I want you to know, it changes the perspective of the conversation. And so I made myself basically available to the, the curiosity, the, the courage, the, um, you know, the boldness of the reader to ask those questions. And that's why we're doing it, because it does create empathy and change from an encounter, not from a lecture, not from a PowerPoint, not from the dummy's guide to being transgender. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's like something quite radical about the level of openness that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And all the human library does is create a, an opportunity for minds to be opened. Change happens as a matter of personal choice. And also change happens inevitably when you encounter someone at a, you know, transparent, raw, human, naked level. I publish under Black Woman, but I'm also could and do speak on being a lesbian, gay woman, um, a parent, and also Muslim. Like Audre Lorde said, we don't live single-issue lives, and I publish under many titles. I've published from ex-missionary to transgender to non-binary to bipolar to asexual to polyamorous. Any combination of any two of those becomes a, a you know a stereotype, myth-busting straight away, which is what I love about it. We're much more than one thing. We're so much more than one thing. And it's the labels is not something that we've created. It's something that, that's put on people. And we're just delivering them in that box. And then they jump out of the box right in front of you in a way you could say. Because obviously no one can be restrained or boxed in when you really meet them. We publish people by their kind of almost like a clickbait title by the very label that society seizes us, whether that's, you know, uh, um, obese, goth, ginger, black, whatever. We don't add the word person to the book title because that's what you discover by encountering the human being in a conversation. The poet Walt Whitman famously wrote, I am large, I contain multitudes. And yeah, I think we could all publish under a variety of titles because we're human libraries. What I absolutely, absolutely love about the Human Library is that opportunity to actually see the person in front of you. Just that opportunity to just like, okay, let me just take the mask off for a minute and just breathe. Thanks to Katie and Bessie for allowing me to read, and to Ronnie Abergel, the founder of the Human Library, for speaking with us. I loved this experience. It felt like a really intimate way of connecting with a stranger that I'd never thought of before. If you visit thehumanlibrary.org, you can find out how to get involved with the Human Library all over the world, as well as examples of other books publishing under an incredible range of titles. As the Human Library strapline says, unjudge someone. Our next story continues the theme of building bridges with our neighbors, but this time we start, perhaps unexpectedly, in the business shelves of the British Library. 
My name is Michaela Hall Ramsey, and I am the founder and one of the company directors at HR Sports Academy. HR Sports Academy is a community interest company that uses sports to empower young people. So we go into schools, we deliver morning clubs, after school clubs, lunchtime sessions, PE sessions, pretty much every and anything to get young people around positive role models and developing skills which will allow them to succeed in life. For me, sports has played a massive part in my life. When I was younger, I competed, but I never wanted to be a professional athlete. I just enjoyed the benefits that came from being a part of a positive social group. I liked feeling fit and actually mentally being fit and healthy as well, and that allowed me to be really confident. Youth crime is really high, and sometimes people get caught up in the wrong things because their time's not being used effectively. Growing up in Tottenham, I was fortunate to have a family that could love and support me, but I'm not oblivious to the fact that my neighbour doesn't necessarily have that same support mechanism. Michaela is a special type of entrepreneur. Her business, HR Sports Academy, has put community at the centre of its mission for the past 10 years as an award-winning social enterprise. Initial inspiration came from close to home. My sister had Down syndrome and... Growing up, I saw the limitations which the doctors and society had placed on her. However, with the support from my family, she was able to achieve every and anything that she put her mind to. So for me, I felt like nobody really had an excuse. When I was at university, my sister passed away in my second year and developing my business ideal, just focusing on how sport could positively develop young people, really helped me through what was and probably still is the worst time in my life. It really gave me an outlet. I wouldn't say I hated being at home, but at home wasn't a nice place to be simply because everybody was grieving or people were continuously asking me, are you OK? Of course I'm not OK. So it's either to lie or to actually break down and just tell you exactly how I was feeling. But my time spent at uni developing my business idea or just my passion really got me through a tough time. Michaela won a small grant to start her company. And with just 10 basketballs and her own enthusiasm, she quickly began to win contracts. By the end of the first year, she had seven employees and had expanded the offering to include a wide range of sports, PE sessions, holiday programs, and coach training. I just could see the benefits of what I was providing. I could see how happy the young people were, how they were developing, and also how much the parents valued what I was doing simply because they could see, most importantly, that their child was in a safe environment and around positive people. The time I suppose I realised that I needed to refocus and scale up was a low point where we had lost our biggest contract, um, which meant we were losing a lot of money. But it was kind of like a blessing in disguise because that's when I realised that a lot of my time and effort were going to this one particular school and there was absolutely no growth. Looking for advice, Michaela happened upon the Business and IP Centre, at the British Library. 
I won an award that year, um, a precious award, and we won Social Enterprise of the Year. And at the award ceremony, the British Library had a representative there and they mentioned the Scale-Up programme and it just was like, oh, that sounds good. And I went on their website and applied and I was successful. Jeremy O'Hare is a relationship manager for the Business and IP Centre's Innovating for Growth programme. Yeah, so it's part of the British Library, but we are here to support entrepreneurs um, looking to start and to scale up their business. And we do that in a number of ways. One is the amazing collection that we have, which is like worth over five million pounds of commercial data that people can just access for free without charge. This is kind of the core offer of what we have here at the British Library. Uh, so people can come in and do their research. They can find out what they need to know about their market, the size of the competition, around legalities. We can provide a little bit of that information too. Um, but it's not only the research and the, the resources that we have, it's also a whole network of people getting together, helping each other. And it's just a bigger, a wider network of support and encouragement that we can offer. Honestly, I've never been to the British Library before um, until I actually started on this programme. It's an amazing place. And I didn't know that that service was actually available even as a startup company. I didn't know that that was there to help. For a start, we're, we're open to absolutely anybody. Michaela, like um, a lot of our scale-up businesses, was looking for what to do with her business in terms of the next level, where to take it to. So um, we're able to provide her a program of three months of advice in half a dozen key different areas that she was able to look at. The scale-up program specifically was amazing. I was provided with workshops and one-to-one -one advice from experts around branding and marketing. And I think that was especially one of the things that I wasn't ever focused on. So it was great to kind of like step back and see what we weren't doing and how we should be doing things. There was a lot of focus also on developing our business plan, our strategy for growth so that your time and energy were focused in places which would be more lucrative. Building on her successes as part of the Innovating for Growth program, Michaela now hopes to inspire others as an ambassador for the Startups in London Libraries business service. I was grateful at the opportunity that I had to travel down to King's Cross and gain the support from the Business and IP Centre. But if it was a case of literally just walking around the corner and being able to save time and money, I would obviously much rather that. For me, the Startup in London Libraries programme is also great because it allows local people like myself to be seen and when we're seen, we provide others with that knowledge that, oh, I can do this as well. There's someone like Michaela who's used our scale-up program and benefited from that. I think she very much wants to go back to her local community and kind of pass on some of the insights and support that she's had. And that's through the local libraries that are there, Haringey and, and North London. So, it, you know, it's an opportunity for her to connect with other businesses and for businesses to hear her story. So the Startup in London libraries has a service where you can go there and especially with it being based in your local borough you've got that specialist knowledge of the area that you're serving so you can go in there and there's no limit to how many times you go there and gain advice or support from the experts that are there startup in london libraries allows young and old to come in and gain an opportunity to start something that especially in haringey and other deprived boroughs that for them is something that is not attainable
To date, we have had over 40,000 young people come through our services and being touched by the work that we do. On average, we have about 3,000 to 4,000 young people taking part yearly with us. I think the proudest moments are really personal in the sense of it would be like a young person and what they have achieved. So we've had children, say, with autism attend our sessions and they haven't been able to catch or kick or shoot or not have great social skills. And then to see them getting trials at a top football club is amazing. Seeing parents who are isolated, but when they're sitting down together at the training session and then picking up each other's children and going out at the weekends and going on holidays and stuff like that, the fact that we're able to build a community is amazing and that's definitely something that I am extremely proud of. Purpose is everything, I really think so. The day-to-day -day can get hard and get tough, but if the founder isn't motivated by the bigger vision, the, the bigger picture for the business or organisation, then it's all too easy to peter out. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I think that is very important. To know your why will literally drive everything. And once you know your why and you have your purpose, it really aids you to get as far as possible. And that's what has helped me. I love my family. I'm heartbroken that I don't have my sister. I'm grateful for the fact that she was here and that she's taught me that there's no limitations. And those lessons that I have learned makes me want to provide those lessons to other people. Thanks to Jeremy O'Hare, Relationship Manager for the Business and IP Center's Innovating for Growth program at the British Library. And Michaela Hall-Ramsey, founder of HR Sports Academy and ambassador for the Startups in London Libraries business service, now available in 10 London boroughs. While Michaela makes social enterprise sound easy, I think there's a lot to be said for leveraging contacts and tapping into your network to get ideas off the ground. To find out more about the free resources available at the British Library and information on the startup and scale-up schemes mentioned, visit bl.uk BIPC. For our final story, we move from businesses with big impact to the differences little interactions can make in our lives. I took a walk. I think, I think we might, I've got my map here and I think we might be going the wrong way. Okay, okay, let's turn around. Oh, is that it? I see something exciting. What do we have here? It's a chilly autumn day in Clapham, South London. For the past 10 minutes, I've been following a map I found online, down busy, long roads in search of a rather special box of books. So we've come upon a little library, and it's got a little glass door, and there's a little, a little instruction thing on the front that says, little free library, how this library works. This library belongs to everyone. And it just explains that you can take a book and share books and leave books. There's all kinds of things here. There's some kids' books. Uncorrected bound proof. Yes. Wow. It's a mystery novel. We got options.
So the first Little Free Library was built by a man named Todd Bowl, and he did this in honor of his mom, who was a teacher and a lifelong reader, and he thought that creating this little box to share books would be a great way to honor her memory. This is Margaret Aldrich. She works for the Little Free Library nonprofit organization. So when Todd put out this first Little Free Library in front of his house in Hudson, Wisconsin, this was back in 2009, um, he was really moved by how it affected the people in his neighborhood. People would stop by, have conversations with, with each other, they would share books, um, they would get to know each other and just connect. And Todd really thought that this was an idea that he wanted to share with the rest of the world. And 10 years on, there are more than 90,000 registered Little Free Libraries. You can find them in all 50 American states, 91 countries, and on every continent, apart from Antarctica, which is something they're hoping to change soon. You know, a Little Free Library means something different to every community. If it's a community that's lacking book access, it can be a really powerful tiny spot to spark a love of reading with kids, for people to share books, for people to get books into the hands of folks that don't have that at home. So that's a really important piece of it. In other communities, it's a great way to connect with people. And we've heard you know, from countless Little Free Library stewards that I've met more people since I put up a Little Free Library than I've met in the 10 years I've lived in my neighborhood. And I found that to be the case personally when my husband and I put up our Little Free Library I'm not joking, within four minutes of getting this little box of books up, we had neighbors crossing the street that we've never spoken to before. And they came over to talk with us, find out what it was, how it worked, um, ask if they could bring a book over to share. And, you know, being a cynic at heart, I was like, oh my gosh, this thing actually works. So uh, we hear stories like that every day. We had a person who found a book in a little free library, and it was a children's book, and they thought, oh, this was one of my favorite books as a kid. They opened it up, and they saw their signature in the inside the cover, and it was their own book from when they were a child. So every day we're hearing wonderful um, stories of connection, and that's not even including the crazy, wonderful Little Free Libraries themselves that we see every day. Hello. Hello. Come in, come in, come in. Thank you. I'm Cleo. Hello, I'm Martin. Nice to meet you. Did you see it? Yes, we did. Do you like it? It's beautiful. It's packed, isn't it? It's completely packed. And that's not me. No. That's them. People just packing stuff in there. Brilliant. Have a, have a few. So, I'm Sam, Sam Bunch, and I live in Clapham. I am an author and I'm an interviewer. I sit and talk to people all day and I make them into books, whatever I hear. And my first book um, is called Collecting Conversations and that's 100 Women Sharing Everyday Thoughts. So I interviewed 100 women asking them about life, like how are you and how do you feel about life? What are we doing on this big planet? What inspired you to make this little library out there? We went to New Orleans last September 
and walking along a random street, there was a little free library outside this woman's house and it was beautiful. I'll show you a picture later. Absolutely beautiful. And of course I just went, oh, that's gorgeous. And then I didn't really correlate the two. I came home and I, re I remembered that my friend who lives in West London, she had thought about getting one. And she'd bought one that her friend, well, I say she bought one, she got a friend of hers who's a woods crafty person to make a library for her. And, and I thought, actually, I'm gonna get one too. Didn't know what to expect. It has been there since March, I think. And because we're, we live on a street that's got a lot of passing trade, I did, if I'm honest, I did think it might end up being vandalised or maybe a place where people do drugs, you know, put <laughs> drugs in. Right. And a lot of people said that to me. But we haven't had any problems at all. In fact, I get occasionally get little letters in there saying thank you very much for doing this, Aww. it's so lovely. People aren't just leaving notes. It's getting filled with books. Books that represent the local community, different languages, religious texts, and a surprising amount of books about cricket. And then the ashes were on and I thought, oh, I'll just take every book out and put all these cricket books in there. Of course, I think people just thought it's a bit mad, but <laughs> I don't think many people took those cricket books. Um, I've got quite a lot of cookery books. Yeah, no, people, people pass comments and they go, oh, my God, you get some really interesting books in here. You know, it's, it's random. It's completely random. And I think that's the way London is. It's really easy to become a Little Free Library steward yourself. So you can... If you're not handy at all, and you don't want to think about building something, you can purchase a Little Free Library from the organization at littlefreelibrary.org. Um, you can also, if you're a little bit handy, and this is what I did, you can buy a kit from the Little Free Library organization and then build it yourself. Or you can um, build it from scratch and it can look like anything you want it to look like. There are really no rules to what a little free library is. Um, you know, we've seen some really amazingly creative little free libraries that people have constructed, you know, from lots of Doctor Who TARDIS libraries, which I think are really cool. And then this past year in Idaho, in the US, a woman had this gigantic cottonwood tree in her front yard. It was 110 years old, and the city said, oh, we hate to say it, but it's dying. It needs to come down. And she decided to leave a gigantic stump and carved out the inside and turned it into this amazing walk-in little free library that had interior lighting and exterior lighting and a door. Um, and that just went viral. People just love that library. Do you know what? I quite like tidying it up. <laughs> I know it's only two shelves and there's probably, I think there's, I think I counted, I think you can get about 35 books in there at a push. So it's not big at all. And sometimes I go, oh, shall I put it in order of size? Or, and then I go, no, don't be ridiculous. No, I can't. Yes, I am a little librarian. I'm a little librarian, aren't I? A little free library librarian. That's what I am. <laughs> Have you met anyone thanks to the library? Have you like met people who are yeah, using it? Yeah, and... yeah. People 
come and talk to you if your fan might be doing a bit of gardening out there or just walk past and they'll go, oh my God, this is a great idea, I love it so much, it's a real sense of community. And then I think by the fact you're doing it, people realise that, you know, you're probably quite friendly, the fact you're doing it. Somebody asked if I knocked on the door one day and said, could I have some water for my dog? My dog's not very well and this dog is sort of on the floor just there. And I think because the library was there, they didn't feel, they must have thought somebody's all right who lives behind this door, so it's not so intimidating, so they can come for help or they can, you know, so it's, it's sort of a, a little, almost like a signal that all is all right. You know, all is well with the world. There is community and it's still thriving. You know, a little free library gives us an opportunity to pause for a minute. It gives us a very simple way to connect with the world. And, you know, I found in my experience as a little free library steward, I'm really an introvert at heart. And I thought, am I really friendly enough to have a little free library in my front yard? But it seemed like a, a safe way to start connecting. You know, when we're all looking at our mobile phones all day, every day, when we're being told by the internet the things we'd want to read or the books that, or the movies we'd want to see or anything like that. It's just this wonderful kind of throwback to being open and willing to connect with another person and being pleasantly surprised that other people want to connect with you too. Sam Bunch, the self-professed Little Free Librarian of Clapham, and Margaret Aldrich from the Little Free Library Organization. Throughout this episode, and indeed this series, we've celebrated libraries as cornerstones of community, and it's been really cool to see that in action. I love how the Little Free Library movement encourages people to take libraries deeper into their own communities, directly to their streets, to their own doorsteps, to share with their neighbors. I think we should all take inspiration. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit subscribe and let us know what you think by leaving us a review. Remember, the British Library, like many libraries around the world, is free and is open to everyone. We're based at St. Pancras in London and Boston Spa in Yorkshire and at bl.uk, where you can explore our collection from wherever you are. Anything But Silent is a PixiU production. We'll be back in two weeks with our accompanying series, Joining the Library, where authors and artists pick books that have shaped their thinking. But until then, from me, Cleo Laskarin, thanks for listening. <laughs>